Well, we're starting a series called I Believe. And let me tell you, right out of the chute, we had a problem. And here's the problem. A long time ago, we said, on September 25th, we're going to start the new series, and it's going to be a theology series. Well, here's the problem. We haven't had communion for a while, and there were people saying, Charles, we need communion. How about if we do it on September 25th? And I'm thinking, well, wait a minute. Either we need to punt the beginning of the new series. So let's do communion, and I'll talk about something else. Or we start the new series, and we do communion somewhere down the road. And some of you are thinking, well, Charles, how about if we did communion and you didn't preach that week? That was not an option, all right? It was either do something on communion or start the new series. But, you know, the more I thought about it, the more I realized there is no better way to start a series on theology than there is the morning that you're going to celebrate communion. Because communion puts Jesus front and center. And in all of the theology that we're going to look at over the next couple of months in the I Believe series, we had better keep Jesus front and center in all of the theology or it's no longer Christian or biblical theology. So maybe the best way to start the series is to start the series by looking at communion, the picture of who Jesus is and what he came to do. So if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to read a few verses. Uh, That'll help us understand what communion is. And then from there we'll uh, jump in for some reminders. Here we go, beginning of verse 23. Paul writes, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now notice, the idea of remembering is all over that passage. And if you read the few verses before and the few verses after the verses I read, you'll discover that the word or the idea of remember comes up over and over and over and over again. But the problem is, we have a weak understanding of remember. When I say, what's, the op what, what's remember mean? To recall, right? Say, to remember facts, to recall. Yeah, but that's too weak. Let me explain it this way. What is a member? A member is a part. The members of your body, fingers, toes, ears, nose, arms, they're members of your body. What's the opposite of remember? To dismember. What does it mean to dismember something from your body? You cut your hand off. You cut your like, horror movies, grossed out things, right? They are dismembering, cutting parts off the whole. What is remember? Remember is taking parts that have been disconnected and reconnecting them. That's the substance of remember. We are all members of a body. If someone is cut off, ostracized, they are dismembered. Reconciliation, the mission of Jesus is all about reconnecting and remembering. And so let's get rid of our little weak idea of remember, recalling, and let's think of member, dismember, remember, and then all of a sudden we understand the mission of Jesus and how it fits. Now, how many of you thought of this group when I said dismember? That's a death metal group called Dismember. Any fans out there? No. Uh, that's not what we're talking about, right? Members of, of a whole, 
dismembered, cut off, remembered, connected, or put back. Now what we're going to do for the next few minutes before we come to the communion table, we are going to seek to reconnect, to remember what's been dismembered. And in fact, why Jesus tells us to celebrate communion is because there's often a dismembering in our lives. You don't have to raise your hands, but I know this is true. There's often a dismembering between what we know and how we live, right? We all know better than we live. That's a problem of dismembering. That's why the Bible's always telling us to remember, because we dismember thoughts from actions, thoughts from feelings, thoughts from words. They need to be remembered to be connected. We're going to look at five ways that communion reminds us to remember, and those five things actually give us the gospel. What I'm going to tell you this morning should not be new to you, none of it, because we are remembering. Well, it was a member at once. Well, here we go. The first thing that we're connecting is communion, the mission of Jesus, connects with the past. Connects with the past. Here's how Paul begins that section in 1 Corinthians. Here we go. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, that automatically calls all of the Corinthians' mind to the past. All right, so here's Paul, probably writing 1 Corinthians in the early 50s, all right? And how does he begin a section on communion? He says, on the night Jesus was betrayed, that's like 20 years before. So Paul says, communion is about connecting, remembering with the past. Paul's writing in the early 50s, and he says, now I want you to remember what happened in the 30s. I want you to remember what happened in the early 30s. The night before Jesus was crucified, he took bread and a cup. And he said, this is my body and my blood given for you. There's a connection with the past. And so when we come to the communion table, there we are connecting to the past. Oh yeah, but if you go back and read the Gospels, you'll find communion in all four of the Gospels. The Lord's Supper. The Gospels tell us that Jesus was celebrating the Passover with his disciples. Well, the Passover was far in the past. It's kind of way over here. The Passover was back at the Exodus. And so Jesus says, you've got to remember. Remember the Passover? We were slaves. We were in bondage in Egypt. And God brought about an awesome deliverance through the mediator Moses. And Jesus changes the script. So Jesus is here in the 30s, looking all the way back on the Passover, you know, a thousand years before. And Jesus says, remember that? And here's how he changes the script. For millennia, the presider of the Passover table would say something like this. He'd lift up the bread and he said, unleavened bread. This is the bread of our affliction. What does Jesus say? He picks up the bread and says, this is the, blood, or this is the bread of my affliction. This is my body given for you. See, all of that stuff in the past was actually pointing to Jesus. The meal, you were served the lamb. Jesus says, but I am the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, judgment in the Exodus, right? Judgment at Passover was nothing more than judgment rolled forward. It was scrolled forward. 
But Israelites were protected not because of their righteousness, not because they believed the right stuff, but because a lamb was slain and its blood was painted on the door frame of the house. Jesus now says, that was just a picture of me. I am the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so communion connects us to the past. Paul writes, the night Jesus was betrayed, Jesus refers to the Passover and he says all of those celebrations of Passover Nothing more than pictures pointing to me and the deliverance that I bring. Now we stand all the way over here. And we remember Paul's letter to the Corinthians. And in the letter he's remembering that last supper with Jesus. And at the last supper with Jesus he's remembering the Passover. And we stand here and remember all of that. Jesus the fulfillment and the pinnacle of the whole story. Communion connects us. It helps us remember with the past. The Bible story is our story. It also reconnects us or helps us remember with God. With God. Jesus says this, this is my body which is for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now notice, when Jesus says this is my body, this cup is my blood, If nothing else, he's saying, God is now accessible. God's accessible. God is a spirit, doesn't have a body. God becomes a human being in Jesus, and he has a body. God becomes accessible. But more than just Jesus being there, God in their presence, Jesus is the bridge that connects us to God again. Sin always dismembers. Isn't that right? Sin separates. The Bible says that over and over and over again. We sin and we are dismembered, disconnected from God. Jesus says, I come to reconnect. I come to reconnect you with God. We often talk about it in these terms. Sin creates a chasm. All religions know that. And every human being essentially knows that our sin has caused alienation between us and God. And what do all religions do? All religions basically say, yeah, sin has created this chasm. Sin has dismembered us from the divine. But then religious leaders say, here are the rituals, here are the rules, here are the regulations. Jump through all the hoops, keep all the rules, obey all the regulations, and they're like rungs on the ladder. They're like steps in the bridge that will reconnect you to God. Christianity is radically different. Christianity says, religion gets it right. There is a chasm between human beings and God. They get that part right. But they underestimate the chasm. The chasm isn't wide so you can somehow get over it. The chasm is infinite. And if God doesn't do something to bridge that chasm, you will never be reconnected with God. Jesus says, I am that bridge. My mission is to build a bridge from God to you. Religion is human beings trying to build a bridge to God. That one's not working, friends. What does communion picture? It pictures Jesus remembering us with God. And you can't do it on your own. Only Jesus can. I'm not much of a swimmer. Throw me into a deep end of a pool, I can make it to the side. Unless I have a big weight on me or something. Uh, You may be able to swim a whole lot better than me. Maybe in your age class, you're like a world-class swimmer. That's good. I I feel good for you. I I don't know why you don't do a real sport, but I I appreciate the fact you could. But here's the point. If we go down to Ocean City 
and walk into the water, you would say, Charles, I'm a much better swimmer than you. I'll be able to swim further than you. Let's have a contest. Let's start here in Ocean City. First one to Bermuda wins. You know what? You'll drown a little further out than I will. <laughs> in fact, I'm not going out that deep. I'll watch you drown out loud a little further. Nobody's swimming from Ocean City to Bermuda. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. That's what the gospel is. You try to work your way to God, yeah, try swimming from Ocean City to Bermuda. You're not going to make it. Jesus bridges the chasm from sinful human beings to a holy God, remembering us with our God. That's great, isn't it? Oh, it's not just remembering us with God. It's reconnecting us with Jesus himself. I talked about my swimming prowess. I'm a little better runner than I am swimmer, not a whole lot better. I'd be willing to bet. Don't ever take me up on this because I'm not going to do it. I'm just telling you right now. I could probably run a mile in less than 10 minutes, right? I think, I think. If you can walk it in 10 minutes, I'm okay, I'm safe. Uh, I could make one mile. Now, that's one mile. The second mile would probably take about 30 minutes, after I vomited and was puking and asking God to take me, all right? There's no shot I'm doing the third mile, all right? But here's the interesting thing. A few weeks ago, I traveled over 300 miles an hour for an hour and 20 minutes straight. Impressed? I stepped into an airplane and that airplane took off, and we flew, flew at over 300 miles an hour. And my whole perspective changed. I looked down, and I saw little roads that were little like threads or maybe ribbons on a carpet. I saw farms tan and green like postage stamps. I saw Lake Erie, Lake Michigan. They were far in the distance. I could even see the coastline and make out the hairpin turns that you never see if you're driving along the coast. My perspective changed. My idea changed. My actions changed. I was traveling th over 300 miles an hour because I was inside of an airplane. Jesus says, if you're a Christian, you are in me. Here's how he says it. Here's how Paul says it in 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old's gone. The new is here. He says it this way in the book of Romans. Don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? You know, in Christ is maybe the most precious concept of the whole New Testament. So here's the point. If you're in Christ, you have a new identity. You have a new perspective. You have a new power. You have a new ability. All because you're in him. And you can do things you could never do in yourself. And you see things that you would never see if left to your own devices. The message of the gospel is that you can be in Christ. Communion is a picture of remembering us with God and reconnecting us with Jesus. It's all about connecting and putting it together. The best way to start a theology series is to have communion. Well, any other reconnections? Well, here's one. It reconnects us as a community, as a community. Um, how many of you ate at least one meal this week alone? Raise your hands. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, in your car as you're driving, stop by, in your office, and, you know, Friday I went and got a sandwich, sat at my desk and ate it. 
Uh, you can't eat communion alone, all right? You can't go home, break out a little cracker, and pour yourself a shot glass full of grape juice and have communion. You can't do that. You can't baptize yourself all by yourself in your bathtub, and you can't have communion all by yourself at the kitchen counter. They are community concepts. You're baptized in the presence of the body you're becoming part of, and the body represents the body of Christ, and we celebrate communion together. There was a big problem in Corinth, by the way. The context of what Paul writes isn't too nice. Look at the context from 1 Corinthians. This is right before the passage I read. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. What's he saying? It'd be better if you didn't go to church. When you gather together, you're doing more harm than good. In the first place, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and to some extent, I believe it. What's Paul saying? You know, sometimes it's not good to go to church. If you go to church and all you do is fight and critique and complain and divide, and when you're there, pride causes all that stuff, right? You know what's right. You know how it should be done. Those people that disagree with you, what does Paul say? It'd be better if you didn't go. He follows up by saying this about communion. When you come together, it's not even the Lord's Supper you're eating. Now let me tell you what the context was. They would do communion in the early church at the end of the service the way we do. But communion followed a whole meal. They would, you know, like potlucks. Sure, glad we don't do that anymore. They potluck, you bring stuff. And uh, at the end of the service, they would have a meal together. But not everybody in the church in Corinth had equal resources. Some people would bring a banquet, right? I mean, because they wanted to show up everybody with all the foods that they could bring and all the delicacies they could afford. Some other people would show up and they didn't even have enough for themselves. They were literally hungry. They'd come to church. And there was such division because of pride, they wouldn't share with each other anything that they brought. So Paul says, you know what? It'd be better if you didn't even go. Eat your meals at home. Don't come to church and live out division because Christianity is about remembering. It's about connecting in unity. And you guys come together and you're picturing dismembering. How you doing? How we doing? Yeah, we don't have potluck dinners at the end of every service. But we do have communion. Picture it this way. You can't have communion alone. And the pieces of bread that we will share were all broken from one loaf of bread. We are all pieces of the whole, right? And we need to remember that. And here's where pride goes in all this, friends. If you're remembering your enormous guilt that was forgiven by Jesus, and that's in, that's in your mind's eye, you will find it easy and normal to forgive someone's little guilt against you. That's what happens at the table. You remember your sin and the price Jesus paid to forgive you, and you then pay a little bit to bring forgiveness to someone else. Remembering, connecting in community. Well, there's one last one, and this is a great one. Communion reminds us, it's all about remembering, right? Dismembering. It helps us be connected with a future that we don't deserve. Jesus says this in those verses. For whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death 
until he comes. Little secret, communion is a temporary meal. Crumbs from the table. Soon you'll push your chair up to the banquet table and enjoy the feast. Let me ask you a question. Let me put a sentence up on the board. Jesus is coming again. How do you punctuate that sentence? Some people put a question mark, right? And maybe you put a question. We're glad you're here. Put a question. Jesus is coming. Eh, yeah, maybe. Not quite sure about that. Maybe, maybe not. You put a question mark? Probably most of you put a period. That's what I believe. Jesus is coming again, period. Here's my guess. No one in the early church put a question mark or a period at the end of that sentence. Peter, Paul, Mark, Matthew, Mary, Martha, they put an exclamation mark at the end of that sentence. And here's what they would say. Yeah, my sin created an enormous gap between me and God. But I'm in Jesus. And because I'm in Jesus, I am reconnected with God, reconnected to Him. And I not only have an anchor in the past to that Passover and the forgiveness Jesus brings. I've got an anchor in God and His Word. I've got an anchor in Jesus and His promise. I've got an anchor in this community and we walk together. And I've got an anchor in the future. Jesus is coming back, exclamation point. There's no better way to start a theology series than to remember the center and the foundation of all that we believe. And that's Jesus, friends. He remembers us with the past, with God, with himself, with each other, as different as we may be. You know, the only thing that's going to heal division whether it's racial, socioeconomic, preference. The only thing that heals that, friends, is Jesus. Politics ain't going to solve it, neither is education. Jesus brings us together. He remembers us. And he connects us with the future that we don't deserve. Let's keep these five things in mind as we look at theology for the next couple of months. I'm going to ask the servers to come forward. I'm going to ask each of us to remember the five. They're going to serve you the bread as you remember. There then you can take it when you feel ready, when you've prayed through the remembering. They're then going to serve you the cup. The band will come out. We will remember and we will then go and live continuing the mission of Jesus that included us in what he did. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks for being mindful of us when we were not mindful of you. Lord, thanks for connecting us when we were not interested in being connected with you. And Lord, as we think about being remembered with a past, remembered with a holy and infinite God, remembered with a Savior who's gracious and forgiving, remembered with a community that's different but that we need and remembered with the future that we don't deserve but we're guaranteed of. We pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.